Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Persevere in my new life and identity to which God has called me. Uh, Paul Tripp again says, Sometimes grief is so powerful that it feels like you died too. But remember, though you are surrounded by death, you still live. And your soul needs to be fed. Your heart needs to be encouraged. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't let go of the good habits of faith that shaped and strengthened your relationship with Christ before your loss. And again, in a popcorn fashion here, I want to go through 12 marks that life is getting better, that it's returning to the new normal that it's going to become. And with this list, you, one, you may be encouraged to say, Many of these things are already happening. Other things, you may identify things that you can pray for and that you can invite other people uh, to pray for you. Or it may be that in the course of this, you see some things that really need to happen that aren't, and it allows you to reach out for help in a much more specific way. Instead of just saying, I feel like things are a mess. You can say, here are some key areas that I feel like are a part of healthy grief and that grieving journey that, that I just I haven't been able to find yet. But what are the marks? Uh, grief changes from a burden that I carry to a treasure that I can get out. Those memories, instead of being something every time they come out that absolutely crush me, I can savor them. My energy level returns to normal. Decision-making becomes easier. My appetite and sleep cycle begin to return to normal. I'm able to enjoy time alone again. Again, these are things that we would commonly overlook and that we would not see as part of God restoring us and bringing us to a healthy place again because we we don't think of them as being marks of grieving healthy. I begin to be able to look forward to events again. I'm able to use my experience to comfort others. A freedom returns in my worship. I don't feel like God has a hostage anymore. My sense of humor returns. I don't feel irreverent or out of place to to laugh or to, to comment on an irony within a given situation. New relationships are built. I'm able to experience peace even within a grief spasm. It hits and it hurts, but I don't feel like I'm drowning under an ocean wave anymore. And I'm able to appreciate my growth um, because of my grief. Now, Now, some of you may say, what if I don't even want these things right now? What if that's just not where I'm at? And again, I would say, while we are nearing the end of our presentation, you very well may not be ending the, in, 
getting near the end of your journey. And I would not want to rush you that because we have reached this point that you think you should be here. And so I will place that caution out many times. But then I would also say there may be times when when we have to humble ourselves to accept the comfort that God offers. And here again we hear from Joseph Lehman, uh, the husband that we heard from a moment ago. As he felt himself resisting the comfort that God was offering, he says, this was tantamount to arguing that God is like a husband who gives his wife a toaster for their anniversary when she was expecting a romantic trip for two at a bed and breakfast. Do you hear how what he really wants and how that shapes the story? It's still there. It's still part of who he is. He says no matter how much she may need a toaster, she is unlikely to see it as a deep expression of her husband's love. And then he reflects back on himself. God has offered me genuine comfort and good faith but I failed to appreciate them as such. If this is true, then God's comfort is not relative, but absolute, with discrete characteristics which we can learn to recognize. And the main thing that I would point out here is the sense in which Joseph Lehman has a trust in God's patience to bring him to these lessons over time both in this quote and I can tell you from the article as a whole, he wasn't beating himself up with a shame-based, contaminated grief as if I should have learned this all wrong. I'm a low-good, rotten Christian because I didn't accept the toaster that God gave me. He was able to rest in the fact there was a patient God who understood the difficulty of accepting the gift even though it was the gift that was needed. Yet... And one of the questions in this step of perseverance is will I trust God? Whether it's for the first time or again, but grief brings me to a point where I am forced to rely on something outside myself because I realize my own mortality and that I am as temporal as the one that I've lost. And so the question of perseverance is will I trust God again? or for the first time. Because if I do not learn to trust God in the midst of my grief, then one of two things will happen in the midst of my recovery. Either I will isolate myself to protect myself from people and being hurt again, or I will over-rely on people and expect them to play the role that only God can play. And so in the midst of this, I must learn to trust God again, and that's really the essence of perseverance in the midst of grief but we recognize that trust is vulnerable. And that vulnerability is is what got me hurt in the first place. And so, perseverance is learning to rest in God's care. That God is loving. And that God is powerful. And that He is involved in my life. And I begin to combat those themes of my suffering story. Winston Smith reminds us. He says, Suffering is always an opportunity to focus on the only treasure that will last forever and never disappoint you or fade away. Because death reminds us that we live not only in a life that should have margins, 
Uh, we often talk about having a life with greater margins. Uh, but we also live in a life with edges. It has points of beginning and end. And I don't like to live in a life with edges. Hence, I write you a 101-page manual for a three-hour presentation. I just I want to cram it all in there. And again, suffering insults us, and it tells us that we live not just in a life that needs margins, but it has edges. And death places life in perspective because of that. And we become wiser, and we have a more full-viewed perspective because of what we've gone through. C.S. Lewis, uh, he says, By praising, uh, therefore, by praising God, I can still in some degree enjoy her and already in some degree enjoy Him. And what he's acknowledging there is that there's one thing that we presently share with our loved one, and that is worship in the presence of God. Them perfectly, but us as the God who said, we will never leave us or forsake us. It is in that relationship that we are closest with the one that we love. And even with our non-death griefs, the loss of a dream, the loss of stability, the loss of innocence, we are closest to those things when we are in worship and prayer with God. And it's during grief that we recognize that heaven really is our truest reality. One of the most beautiful portraits I found in the Narnia series was in the seventh book, The Last Battle, when C.S. Lewis portrayed through his imagination the way that our life here interacts with heaven there and that heaven is the truer reality and that those who know Christ, that this has in some ways been heaven all along. And you'll have to trust me and maybe read C.S. Lewis for that to be unpacked in its fullness. Um, but Paul Tripp, he says, you are secure, not because you have control or understanding, not because you mastered this seminar and got through the nine steps excellent. You are secure even though you are weak and perfect and short-sighted. You are secure for one reason and one reason alone. God exists and He is your Father. Uh, the temptation in times of waiting is to focus on the things we are waiting for. All the obstacles that are in the way, our inability to make it happen, and all the other people who haven't seemed to have had to wait. All of this increases our feeling of helplessness and our tendency to think that our situation is hopeless and our judgment that waiting is futile. And I think waiting is another accurate picture of what persevering after grief looks like. I do live anticip anticipating heaven and a reunion. And that anticipation is out there and it's precious and it draws me, but it doesn't overpower the life that I'm living right now. And I am waiting. And all the temptations that Paul Tripp talks about in the midst of waiting, that is true and in my grief and it makes the persevering hard. But it also allows me to see my grief in light of a struggle that I have known in many other areas of my life so that it feels less like this distinct crazy thing over here that plays by its own rules 
It's beginning to play by the rules of other challenges that I have faced. And that helps me as, my, as I persevere.